powered by the Holy Spirit to look just like Jesus. Now, not in the physical sense. Uh, I do not believe I look like a Middle Eastern man, nor do most of you. Uh, I was told not to tell any more jokes. I think I should stick with that. <laughs> but, but we do long in our hearts and in our minds. And as we talked about last week, our posture, we long to draw nearer to our Lord that we look more like him in our responses to things that frustrate us, in our responses to things that distract us. I've had a great time walking through Philippians with you. We haven't gotten very far, and this is week five. I told you it was going to be a while, and that's on purpose. Because one of the things we need to do sometimes is stop looking at God's word as a race to get through the whole thing in a year or six months or two years and chew on the depth and the riches of every word and for a while you thought I was literally going to go word by word all the way through Philippians and we'd be there forever we're not quite going at that pace but listen back to the words that we've come through so far now we started with Paul thanking God for the church he said Paul and Apostle and Timothy they were called as and, and they were able to minister to the saints in Philippi together with the elders, the overseers, and deacons. And then when you get to verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with thanks, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love the truths that are found in this passage, the, the idea of partnership, that we're in this together, that we're not alone, that when things go really well or really badly, we can walk together, proclaiming and carrying the very name of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, that all who would believe on him might have eternal life because their sins were paid for at the cross and we are all invited into eternal life. Partnership in the good news of Jesus Christ and that the work God started at salvation in us will be carried on to completion. No person, no devil, no anything can snatch us out of the hand of God our Father and our King. We are his our posture of devotion, of surrender to him, demonstrates our position of freedom, of life, of hope, of joy, the overwhelming theme of the book of Philippians. And today we're going to continue, and we're going to look at the next few verses, and I want to read those to you, and then we're going to look at them in a slightly different way, and I'm excited about that, because it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my hearts, in my heart, I don't have to. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you, again, here's this partnership, all of you share in God's grace with me. You who believe on Jesus Christ, you've been welcomed and invited in to the very grace of God through Jesus Christ. Is that not amazing? Shouldn't that just stagger us that though we once were lost, we are now found. The blind now see and when we get to eternity, when his finished work will be complete, we will see him with our own eyes and fall down and worship and say, wow. But then Paul goes on. He says, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, 
All of you share in God's grace with me. I already read that. See? This is what happens. Electronics are great when they work. It's not the electronics. It's the user. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Look around at one another. Do we feel this sort of love to our church body? That we're connected? That we are in tune with each other, that there's this affection, the same affection as that of Jesus Christ who considered nothing but making a way for us to have access for all eternity to God our Father and our King. Remember, husbands and wives are told to love each other as Christ first loved the church, giving himself up for her. Well, we're the church and we are told that we can love and long for one another in the same affection that Christ Jesus loves and longs for us. Again, wow. And then you get to verse 9, and he says, and this is my prayer, and this is where we're going to camp out in a little while, the church that says, let us pray. And he says, this is my prayer. Now, when you and I pray, it usually goes... I'm I'm making some assumptions. You can correct me if I'm wrong because you all have such vibrant prayer lives. But assuming that sometimes prayer can be difficult, sometimes we say, dear Jesus, thank you for, okay, now let's get to the good stuff. Please give me and help me and do this and that and the other. I love you. Amen. Bye-bye. Thanks. That tends to be a bit of our structure of prayer. Now, it can fall into all different types But within that, we kind of often look at prayer like that. Oh, and we might confess some things too. Important to do that. What if prayer was so much more vibrant than that? What if we were able to pray the way David prayed in Psalm 63 that we started the service with? What if we were able to pray for one another like this? You ready? Listen to this. And this is my prayer. So think about it as Paul is praying or you're praying for one another, your church family, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I confess to you, that doesn't sound like most of my prayers. Most of my prayers tend to be a little more shallow than that. Today, we want to look at the compelling joy and passion and love and life that Paul prayed the church in Philippi might have. And we want to look at how we're seeking to live this out and how God's word is becoming alive to us, his people. And one of his people was sharing his insights into how he's applied Philippians 1 in his life and in those he's led. And he's one of our elders or under shepherds, they're called at our church. So I've asked King to come up and share a little bit with us what God's been doing in his life and as he's been leading others. And I've got a couple of questions for him that I'm going to help get him started. And then I'm going to back up and, and let him share what God's had. But it's exciting when we don't just think about these words that Paul wrote, inspired by God. But it's awesome, and I use that very knowingly, when we hear how our brothers and sisters are applying those to every aspect of life. And when I heard King's Heart, I said, we got to hear that as a church. So you ready? Question number one. 
you lead GID, Glow in the Dark. It's a, it's a cross-cultural ministry that's part of Christian Alliance International School that sends teenagers uh, near and far to share the love of Christ uh, and, and make disciples uh, largely in Kaiping and Zhongshan and other parts of China as well as some other parts of the world when they would travel together and here in Hong Kong. So you've talked a lot about partnership. What have you communicated to GID, or you're a teacher as well, to your students about this idea of partnership with the gospel? One of the things that, one of the things that uh, I often quite proud to be as, <laughs> associated with uh, with my students is yes, I'm their teacher. I do tell them what to do, so to speak. But at the same time, they're really my partners. We work together. It's just a privilege to be able to walk with them, to see them from what do I say, to confidently able to share with someone the glorious grace that God is giving us. Uh, on this last weekend, I'm sorry I missed your sermon, uh, we were in, in China, and one of the things that we did was, well, our main trip was visiting homes of brothers and sisters. And I, I warned them beforehand that, okay, there'll be times I'm gonna walk out on you. You are to talk. And a number of occasions, I did that. We were visiting families, and there were teenagers there or young people. So I started a conversation, and I walked away. Well, I told them, you guys take over now. And they did. They took over. They were able to share. They were able to talk. They were able to pray. And I, I, I told them, it's, it's really not only me or the adults in, on the trip, telling them what to do, they have the same Holy Spirit as the rest of us. It's not like God is going to be so selfish. Give, okay, you're older, you get more of me. It's the Holy Spirit is in them as it is in me and in the rest of us. And the power that God promised is in them. So my partnership with the teenagers is such that they are my partners to share the gospel with the people, and not only sharing the gospel, but in discipling, not only getting them to say yes, but getting them to grow and walk with Christ. And also, I also uh, remind them that our brothers and sisters in China are partners as well. We are not there to take over. We're not there to say, we are from Hong Kong, we are from Canada or wherever, and we are here to tell you what to do. No, we are partners in the gospel. Just that I'm sure Lavina will be sharing with you next week more that she's going to go in as partner with the brothers and sisters there. We, have, we may have more resources, but that's not the point. We are partners in the gospel. And the passage that um, you know, Mike was using, um, the, some of the same passages, uh, as we pray, as we lead into prayer in our meetings. And I just think, yeah, this is us. This is what God has laid on the hearts of the team and the teachers uh, at the school, that I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, all my, whenever I remember you, I thank God for my students, that I'm so glad that I'm not just their teacher, that I'm able to walk with them, able to see them grow. I, I, I've shared this before. Um, I'm sorry, I'm taking too long. You're doing great, keep <laughs> sorry. going. That I, I share, share here before that, my pride, not 
do not come from the fact that I teach the most interesting subject in the school, math and physics, of course. Uh, and it, it's, not, it's not only from hearing about my students being successful in their careers. I, I have had some, well, I do have many successful students in, in many different walks of life. Uh, yes, I'm very happy about that. I expect them to do well in my classes. If they don't pass my class, we will talk. But <laughs> to hear that many of them, so many of them, are walking with Christ, they're serving faithfully in all corners of the world, oh, that's partnership. That's, that's the promise in, in Philippians 1, that God, who began good work in us, will carry the completion. And I'm so, I, yeah, I'm so tickled pink, so to speak, that... I have the opportunity, I have the privilege to play a small part in that. Next question. Enough. <laughs> you want to talk some more? Well, the other question I had, and I don't know if you wanted to add anything to this, is, is you looked at this idea of praying. How have you seen those scriptures of partnering and of God beginning a good work in you completed? How, you know, you went into China this past time and had some amazing experiences of God at work. Not only on this weekend, or, yeah. not only on this weekend, one of the, one of the metaphors, or I said a simile, or okay. one of those, <laughs> sorry, English teachers, um, one, one of the things we, uh, we use in GID is the chain, that I'm so thankful that so many, that we had the opportunity to remind our students that God did not cause to win souls. Now, I mean, that, that may sound a bit strange. I'm so thankful that for the past 16 years that GID has been in existence. I, I, did, I, I lost count, but I'm sure there were over 100, maybe a couple of hundred people who came to know the Lord through the ministry of GID, through the teenagers who are teenagers, you know teenagers. <laughs> but yeah, that, that means that's wonderful. Over 100, maybe a couple of hundred celebration because of new life. But they realize, or hopefully many of them realize, that that is not the most important thing. We are called to be faithful. doesn't matter if during our trip, if no one say yes, that's not the most important thing. Were we faithful? Did we play a part in the long chain that God has planned? And I think some of you here sitting here um, were a member of my team. I hope you can testify to that that God has used you to be faithful, to be partners, hopefully with me and with others, that as you share, as you disciple, as you lay down your life to bless the brothers and sisters, it's not the, it's not the numbers. It's not the, um, how many people say yes. But it's really being faithful to what God has called us so that as you grow closer to God, as the kids go closer to God, they're able to see that it's not about the team. It's not about going to Kaiping. It's not about going to Zhongshan or wherever they may be. It's wherever they are. As they go off to university, as they move on, as they get married, have kids, it's being faithful wherever God has placed them. And that's the partnership I am so privileged to be able to have with, with the students and with other teachers in school, with the, with the whole school team. Amen. Thanks for sharing, King.
Why did I want to hear from King today? Because it's exciting when we look at the scriptures that say, I thank my God every time I remember, you know, all my prayers for all of you, I pray with thanksgiving because of your partnership in the gospel. And we think, wow, that's great. Good for the church in Philippi. What do we do with it today? Well, I'm a, I jokingly say I'm a recovering youth pastor. I believe wholeheartedly that teenagers, that children aren't just the church of tomorrow. They can be used by God right now. I believe that we, the church, should stop making excuses for why God can't use us and instead say, here am I, send me. Men and women that love students, that love children, like many of you that go upstairs and invest in our kids or work with Awana or these other ministries or work with adults in making disciples, we long to see them faithfully following where God has, for, where God has them. And so when we pray, our very prayers take on a different note. And as you saw, again, I want you to look look at these words closely, considering how you've heard God at work through just one team and one man. And he says, this is Paul writing, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And we say, yes, Lord, give me that. And, oh, I wish I could pray like that. Wow, that was Paul, the greatest missionary ever. What a saint. What an amazing man. And I say yes to all those things. But we often want to pray better, right? Most of us wish we were more effective in our prayers. Don't we? Is that not true? But in the same regard, when January 1st kicked in, most of us wished we were in better shape. Did we not? Not all of you, but some of you. And so we started looking for advertisements and how do we get in better shape? And we saw people like this saying... Are you up to the challenge? I'll get you a year's worth of results in just 60 days. And after three days, you thought, this is hard, I give up. (laughs) In the same way, we want better... I'm going to stop you from looking at him. (laughs) In the same way, we want better prayer lives right up until the moment it takes work. Right? If we're honest with each other, and this is me included, I'm not saying you, notice I'm included in this. But yet when Paul asked people to pray for him, he begs them, labor, work with me in prayer. Romans 15, 1 Corinthians, the end of that, Colossians 4. All these places he's saying strive, work hard, because prayer is hard work. So when we get to prayer, we have to understand that this is crawling into the very lap of God and saying, here I am. If you've got the privilege of being a parent, imagine for for a second what it was like to have that little, let's say, 18-month-old. You know, they're walking. They're not real communicative, but they're really good at hugs and at cuddles, sometimes at the wrong time. And you're sitting down on a chair, on a couch, on a sofa, on a whatever. And they just crawl into your lap and look up into your eyes. And basically say, just tell me a story. Just tell me. Just 
be with me. When Paul tells us that that's the invitation into a life with Abba, with the tenderness of our Heavenly Father who is both righteously just and mercifully loving, we are to crawl into his lap and soak up every moment with him and do it with joy presenting all our requests to him, big, small, and everything in between. But you see, prayer becomes a habit that we've got to change out of the old ritual of, you know, when I got to college and university, I felt like I should pray, but my spiritual life wasn't really where it should be. So when I got to meals, my prayer became, God's neat, let's eat. That wasn't the most sincere prayer I could pray. But I prayed, so I I ticked off the box, right? What if our prayers became so focused that we were more doing what we're invited to in Ephesians chapter 6, right after we've been given the full armor of God? We're told, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So what can we talk about with God? Everything. There's nothing He can't handle. Isn't that awesome? Really? Isn't it amazing that you can go to God and say, my toe hurts? Or you can go to God and say, I'm not sure you're really there. And he can handle all of it. Not only can he handle it, he invites it. He says, bring it. Bring it to me. I've got the answers. I made all this. And with this in mind... As we're praying, look what happens. Let's be alert and always keep on praying for each other that we may reside in the presence of the Lord all the time. Wouldn't that dramatically change how we lived life? If we were able to think even just for a moment that our prayers were so focused that we really were walking in the presence of God, knowing that we are embraced by him 24 hours a day knowing that his word is truth and his truth brings light and his truth brings life and love to all who cry out, I'm thirsty. And he says, I got you. Just talk to me and I'll get you through this. He doesn't say he'll make everything better in our definition of better. Sometimes he lets us suffer and that's just what we need. But we've got to get past the redundancy of prayer. Now, repeating prayers, A-okay. But Francis Chan gives a, gives a good point to what sometimes happens to our prayer lives. See if you can relate to this. When I was growing up, I, I remember every night we'd sit around the dinner table and my dad would make us pray every night before we ate. The crazy thing about it was we would pray the exact same prayer every night, like word for word, no variation. Either I would pray it or my brother would pray it or one of my sisters would pray it, but we would say word for word. And I know that means nothing to you, but uh, every night, word for word, and so it became this pattern, and it got to a point where I would pray it before breakfast, before lunch, every time before I ate, I would have to pray that magical Chinese prayer of God bless this food, because I didn't want him to poison it. And um, 
I just, I just, I look back at that and I think, wow, that's so ridiculous. Without exaggerating, I bet you I prayed that prayer at least 5,000 times over my lifetime, word for word. In fact, I remember one time, and this was the stupidest thing. I remember being in junior high and I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed that I believed in God. I was embarrassed to pray, but I knew... Oh, we're at lunch and we we're at this amusement park. It was a field trip. I still remember it. We were at this place called Great America and a bunch of my friends were at this table. We got our, <laughs> our food and, and our drinks and, and I'm thinking, I got to pray before I eat, but I don't want anyone to see me. And so I still remember dropping my fork on purpose just so that I could bend over and pick it up. And on my way down, I'd be like, and no one would notice and then I could eat my food and it's like oh good it's blessed now and you, you've probably not you probably haven't done anything that stupid but I think we all get into some sort of routine in our prayers to where it can become meaningless um, whether it's before meals or maybe you have a, a morning devotional time and you you almost just sink into this prayer mode without thinking about what you're doing and, and I think it hit me. Did you hear that last bit? We almost sink into this mode where we do it, but we don't actually put any thought into talking with the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one that knows each star by name and he put them there on purpose. Ones that know how many hairs are or are not on your head. Knows every single thing about us. Yet when we go to prayer, it's this. Got to get through this so that I don't get sick on my food or so that I can sleep well tonight. And by the way, God is happy to help you with those things. But that's not who he is. He's not just about your prosperity. He's about the fullness of life that comes from knowing him, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Remember last week, posture determines position. What's our posture like when we go to God in prayer? Sadly, sometimes it's more like... Now, I don't know what his prayer was in Chinese, nor can I repeat it. That's why I let him say it. But sometimes that's like us in any language. We just get through it. Paul here teaches us to be focused in our prayer, trusting in God for immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine. He says that too. And so, well, okay, Mike, I get you. Obviously, it is great to really pray like that, and I want that, but I'm busy. What if we thought just for a second that prayer could go with us 24 hours a day? What if you've got so much going on that the idea of locking yourself in a closet, remember Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees who get out in the corners and say, look at me, I'm awesome at prayer. Rather, go into a, a closed room, lock the door so that no one can see and get in touch with your Father who is in heaven and hears you and knows you by name. What if we just feel so burdened by that picture that we've missed what Jesus is inviting us to, intimacy with him? Maybe for you, isolation is either not possible, you live in a flat the size of a Hong Kong flat, so you can't go somewhere and be quiet, or 
you've got 18 kids that need your attention in a classroom or you have 18 children of your own or two or whatever or you have a wife that doesn't quite understand what you're doing or a spouse all of these things there's millions of reasons then we say well i can't do it that way so i'm just not going to what if we understood the heart of what jesus introduced us to in matthew 6 and luke 11 when he said just come to me And we enjoyed the meaning of getting alone with God. You know one of my favorite places to get alone with the Lord? I learned it really early on when I would go to Kowloon City all the time. Bus 85C with a pair of headphones and some worship music. It's a great place for me to pray. So if you see me on the bus uh, with my lips moving and no sound coming out, I'm not speaking in tongues, I'm just enjoying the Lord. (laughs) Maybe I am speaking in tongues to which I say, praise God. But the idea is we become so restricted that we forget to invite God into every moment of our lives. That's the invitation. And so when we pray, how do we pray? Specifically, how do we pray for the church? This is awesome. This is great. Look what Paul invites us to. He invites us to pray for the power and abundance of love. I know some of you might remember an old song, The Power of Love. The power of God's love is way greater than romantic love. Now, if you have never heard it said in churchese, there are three types of love in Greek, okay? So when types of love were referred to, it could mean different things. It could mean the one we often refer to, eros. Uh, Erotic comes from that. Think 50 shades of gray. Sadly, that's what we've translated as love. That's not love. Don't misunderstand at all. But eros also means the romantic love between two people, okay? Okay. But there's also phileo love, the love of a brother. I can look at Pastor Dan's in the front row and say, I love you, man, and, and do so with all sincerity. And, and I mean that because he's my brother and I love him. And I'm going to miss him come June when he leaves. And I'm not happy about that. And I've told him that. I'm excited for him, but I don't mean I'm happy about it. That's phileo love. But then there's this third kind of love. And you've heard it said, if, especially if you grow up in a church, and it's this agape love this love that transcends our understanding because agape love isn't about you it's not about mike it's this love that is seeking the well-being and best interests of others before ourselves it's saying i'm going to do the hard thing because that's what's best for my brother for my sister or get this, for my enemy. Because that's how Christ loves me, such that he sought my well-being and invited me to have life and have it to the full at his expense. That's what grace is. We get a great life, and Christ paid the penalty for our sins. And so we are invited to pray that one another, the church, family, would... Know the power and abundance of agape love. Now, don't forget, this love can never be separated from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Agape love is defined by who Jesus is and what he's done in us, through us, and for us. And we then pray that we, the body of believers at Alliance International Church, 21 Tak Fungai, Wampo Garden, Wampo Fayun, Hong Hum, Kowloon, Hong Kong, 
all of those addresses, that we would be seeking the best interests of one another, of our community, and of our world, because that's what Christ did for us. And so when we pray, when we crawl up into the arms of God, we say, God, bring them your best, even if that's really hard for me to want for them right now. You get that? Paul's writing this from prison. He couldn't have been happy with everyone. He's in prison. But he still prays that the church would know the power and abundance of God's love. Last night at community group, we had a great time and we worked our way through this, um, through these verses. And they're kind of my practice. If it goes well, then I know I've got a sermon. If not, I need to start over. I give up. But we talked about the idea of abundance. And for Christmas, I was given a bottle of wine. I am not a wine connoisseur. I like wine. It seems to taste good. Helps my tummy, as Paul told Timothy. And it's, it's great to have a glass of wine with loved ones. And my community group is my family. Uh, I love them. I'm, I'm honest with them. I love spending time with them. And, and it's just a great spot. So I busted out a bottle last night. I thought, oh, this looks nice. It was a Pinot Noir. Good choice. And man, everybody was like, wow, this is really good. Where'd you get this? I'm like, oh, this person gave this to me. It was one of our neighbors. We traded bottles of wine for Christmas. And in so doing, they're like, I just want more. I wish my cup was overflowing with the goodness of this wine. The abundance of agape love is that picture. We wish it was just spilling out of us. But sadly, our love for one another is more like when we're a little kid and I love you, right? When we do it because we have to. This is an invitation to fullness of the very love of God that was done out of obedience and out of choice because God's way is the better way. We're invited into agape love and we're invited to pray that one for another, that your love may overflow and be full of power that comes from God. Put it another way, you see the verse. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. You know those verses. Right before that, Paul says, all these conditional statements, if I have all these things, whether it be faith, the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, but I have not love, it's rubbish. In other words, dung. It's worthless. And look at what he says here. And this is great because so often we want to do social justice, which we should, we the church, should be at the forefront of caring for the marginalized. Caring for the broken, the hurting, the least of these. That's what we, the church, one of the reasons we're here. But if I give all I have to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames. Remember, Paul also said, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. But if we do that, either of those things, without love, I gain nothing. The verse before, it is worthless. Love is the linchpin of all of our faith, of all of our hope, of all of our joy, of all of our security, of all of our confidence, of our very relationship with God and with others. It's why in the Old and the New Testament we are told the same thing in slightly different language. Love the Lord your God. You don't even need to finish. Love the Lord your God. No, you don't need to finish. 
You're not getting it. Love the Lord your God. And then love your neighbor as yourself and do it with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. It starts with love. The fruits of the spirit start with love. I can never overemphasize love because the minute we underemphasize love as a church, we have become a religion and we have become moralistic. We've missed the point. If I just love Pastor Dan because he's sitting in the front row and because the Bible tells me so, I'm missing the point. I should love Dan, Pastor Dan, because he is created in God's image and was put here for such a time as this. And it should be my honor to walk with him, whether I agree with him or not. I I don't disagree with you. (laughs) But you get the idea. Sometimes we may not see eye to eye and we think that's an excuse to quit loving each other. Baloney, find that in here. Find in here where it says you got an excuse not to love one another. And you're reading a different Bible if you do. So go get a new one. We pray that we, the church, would be full of the abundance of agape love because that love in Christ leads us to an abundant life of knowledge and discernment. I love that we've got now three people that are trained in the Ravi Zacharias apologetics course. They're halfway there. Two of them are halfway there. One's done. And and I love that they are seeking to grow in their knowledge and understanding of all things apologetics and worldview and philosophy as it relates to how we communicate our faith. Why am I excited about that? Because they're really smart. No, they are all three very, very smart people. But I love it because then they're using that knowledge to pass it on to others. That's important because knowledge without action puffs up. It's, again, it's worthless. But knowledge put to action, love in action through our knowledge and understanding of God's word is miraculous and amazing. But we got to think through these two words. What's the difference between knowledge and discernment? Well, <laughs> a lot. Think of it like this. Knowledge decisive knowledge of God. I know Jesus Christ died, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and is my Lord, my Savior, and my King. I know this to be true. That is knowledge. Discernment says every ounce of that knowledge affects how I choose to live my life in honor and glory of Him. So when temptation comes, discernment kicks in and I can make the right decision. I'm not always saying, God, what's your will? Because I already know his will, to love him and to love others. If it's not one of those two things, it's probably not God's will. Isn't it great how that works? The knowledge of God leads us to discerning how we act in any and all circumstance. Say that again. The knowledge of God and who he is leads us to know how to act and how to discern what is best in any and all circumstance. How many of us have thought, what am I supposed to do in this situation? And I always, you you get, people get frustrated with me because I always go, well, what's God's word say about this? I had somebody really frustrated uh, a couple weeks ago and they were talking about how unfair a situation was and I, I didn't give them the answer they wanted to hear but as we prayed and as we discussed, they realized, well, that's God's word because in the end, they were gonna keep their word. 
because that's what God's word invited them to do. And that was the priority. The discernment kicked in. Oh yeah, this is the truth of God's word. His way is best. We need the knowledge to gain the discernment, the wisdom to know how we can live. And the great thing is that knowledge that is full of understanding leads us to a full, contented, peaceful life. What do I mean by that? Simply, I mean that I didn't want to preach today because at 6.51 in the morning yesterday, I got the dreaded phone call that every expat fears they will hear. Mike, this is Nikki, your sister. Your dad was just admitted to the hospital. We think he's having a heart attack. That was what I knew at 6.51 in the morning on a Saturday. Come on, Dad. That wasn't really my first thought. My first thought was of concern and care. I walked through the whole day knowing that, knowing that they would be poking, prodding, testing, doing all those things, and that they had given him nitroglycerides and they'd given him morphine, which meant something was legitimately wrong. His blood pressure continued to spike. None of these, from what little knowledge I have of medicine, were good signs. Couldn't talk to him because if he was uh, conscious, he was so doped up that he couldn't say anything and I just wanted to leave him alone. But as I sat down, I sat in my office upstairs because I came into the office about noon after I'd gotten all these things sorted and chatted with my sister. And you know what came to mind? When peace like a river attendeth my soul. And this part, when sorrows like sea billows roll. I was in sorrow, but I wasn't worried because as I typed that, and I even tweeted it. If you're on Twitter, you saw my tweet. I didn't tell you why. But my mom wrote back. She said, the peace is God's. We're fine. My mom watching my dad, worrying about her husband of 40 years or however many it's been, was confident that my dad was right where he was supposed to be and she wasn't worried. Now, I know she's mom. She's supposed to tell me that. But even in speaking with her last night, she was legitimately fine. And so that when the test came back, whatever befell them and us as a family, it is well with our soul. So when I went to bed last night, we prayed as a community group. We moved on. I slept great. Now, maybe it was the wine. But more realistically, it was the peace of God which transcends all understanding that was guarding my heart that said, Mike, I love him and my plans are greater than your plans. So at four in the morning when Melissa gets a text because I don't have an iPhone anymore and they can text her, test results back, not a heart problem. He'll be okay. We'll go home tomorrow. So I heard that. I said, woohoo, and went back to sleep. The whole time, knowing, not just knowing, but being able to live out. I'm not a great sleeper to begin with, but because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in me and Christ working in me as I'm learning this book with you, I could rest in him, fully assured that he's got a plan, fully assured that my dad might pass away. He will at some point. But God's still my God and my King and his plans are still better 
you see the knowledge and the discernment that led my mom to be able to say, there is peace in this scenario. Let us to understand that as we pray and as we walk this life God has given us, we're not walking this life of bondage. Actually, we're the exact opposite. We're invited into a life of freedom. And as you look at the end of these verses, we realize that Paul is praying that we, the church, would be blessed with a life that's full, that's fruitful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying, and eternal. And that's just what he wrote right there. That's all him. You want to hear it again? Listen to his words. I want to make sure I get them all right. He says, I pray that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, until he returns, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, Christ Christ-centered, through him, not us. We can't earn this sort of life. I can't will myself to sleep well last night knowing that my dad might not be here in the morning. Now, that was me over-dramatizing a situation that didn't end up being that serious. But we do that sometimes, don't we? For me, it was that serious. But I could still rest knowing my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And he did in a miraculous way. And I say, woohoo. And then the prayer goes on. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Because in the end, I can't say, wow, those doctors at Mercy Hospital in in New Philadelphia, Ohio, they're just amazing. They might be. I don't know. Don't care. The glory belongs to God because he watched out for my dad, my mom, my sister the whole time. I'm on the other side of the world and I'm the decision maker in the family. Like I'm the decisive one. And if me and my dad are out of the picture, my sister and my mom are stuck with that. Yet God took care of all that. And I could rest and they rested just fine. God is the God that invites us into life saying, will you bring everything to me? Well, God, I don't want to bother you. To which I turn your attention to Isaiah chapter 62 and say, God tells us to bother him. Listen to verses six and seven. One, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. We, the new covenant church, the people that have been adopted into the family of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we're being watched over all the time. Psalm 121, he who watches over you will neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't sleep so that we can. Awesome. But here, verse 7, Isaiah 62. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. Keep calling on him day and night. Call on the Lord. He's not saying don't sleep. He's saying always be looking to God. Call on him. And then this next part is awesome. I said that a lot this morning because it really is. And give him, God, no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Nag God. Don't nag your husband or your wife. Nag God. Give him no rest. Bring everything to the Lord. He's got you. And he wants you. And he wants to know what's going on with you. And then as we let him shape our prayers, our prayers sound something like this. Lord, I pray that each member of the family 
of Alliance International Church, each congregation member, attender, whatever, would just overflow in love. That, Lord, our church would be full of people that are full of the wisdom and knowledge and depth of insight and that our eyes and our hearts would be open to the righteousness that comes only through your son, Jesus. That we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to make decisions in every area of life that are honoring to Christ and glorifying to God. And that these decisions would lead to the life you've called us, invited us, and created us to live. Lord, make us that church. Is that our prayer? Is that our prayer today? I pray it is. Lord, I'll say it again. I pray, oh God, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best, that we may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of you, our God and our Father and our King. Hear our prayer. Shape us. Teach us to pray. Amen.